do my best for these kids. These kids deserve to come out a winner. The seniors deserve to win. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this chair, and I told him, you know what? I'm still crawling my hands and knees to work here. I, I just want to be here. Those situations are the worst when you are on top of another guy. You can't blame a loss to Wake on lack of resources. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. Believe me, the last thing I want to do is, is ever talk about J.C. Price. I don't want to talk about these great student athletes we have and about trying to get them to win. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I keep pinching myself. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out What's the percent on that? 11. Fighting for social justice by drinking. I, I appreciate that. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? Our story's not written. You know, our book's not finished. You know, what's it going to say? And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we haven't had a f- podcast where we talk primarily about football since we previewed the bowl game. It's only been about the NCAA tournament. We did one episode, kind of been slacking. Are you ready to talk some football? I'm ready to jump into it, and I think we got a lot to talk about. It's going to be a little all over the place because there's so much news and notes, and um, it's it's a lot, but I think it's all fun stuff to to go through on the podcast tonight. Absolutely, man. Give us a cheers. So I was going back through all the stuff that's happened since we last recorded, and I think what stood out most uh, is the Hokies softball and the Hokies baseball team. Softball, even more so. I think they won the ACC. uh, They did. And uh, baseball's been uh, off the charts. So a cheers uh, to those two crews and and what they've been doing. I know some other sports have been doing pretty well. uh, like the club of lacrosse team and things along those lines, but wrestling, those are, yeah, yeah, wrestling. Yeah. So, uh, in addition, a big cheers to a televised spring game. Finally, we have been talking about this for so long and and complaining about it for so long that I think we wished it into fruition. Yes, yeah, that's a good cheers, man. You're right on with the softball and baseball. They have been tearing it up. Both are top five right now. Softball is actually number two, depending on what ranking you look at. And they won the regular season ACC. Eight-game win streak. They're 39-6. and six. Like That's just absolutely ridiculous. And I know Oklahoma is a powerhouse when it comes to softball, but that's who we're going to have to take down to win the national title if these girls can do it. And I... That would just be so awesome. They were they were really fun to watch last year, and they're even better this year. Yep, and yeah, I I I will never claim to be a huge softball fan, but anytime it involves the Hokies and them doing well, I'm going to be all over it. So it's been it's been awesome. And baseball was picked to finish like tenth or worse uh, in the standings in the ACC this year, and they're number five in the whole country, thirty one and ten. 14 and 8 in the ACC. They're currently second in the Coastal, and their season starts to wrap up at the end of the month. But we could, I think, both teams could be hosting regionals. Yeah. Which would be incredible. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So, and, and I think they had games going on during the uh, the spring game as well. So some people got to yes. pop back and forth. At least softball, I know, did. Um, I think people, they both had yeah. games that day, and they drew huge crowds because everyone was in town for the spring game. But 
I think some people might even skip the spring game to go see those teams play. <laughs> Which is, yeah. I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> for, for what this podcast is usually focused on. Well, the, when you got these two good teams, you know, and it's a real game, maybe people are like, got to prioritize who's actually in their season. But nevertheless, it was a great weekend in Blacksburg, and, and we'll get into that in a minute. Just to kind of catch people up, Georgia won it all in yes. football. <laughs> I know. That happened after our last football podcast, and they finally got over the hump and beat Bama. What had it been for like 40 years? Mm-hmm. 40 years? Did I have that right? It's been a while. It was 80, 81 or 80. It was something like that. Yeah, it was about <laughs> it was four, a long 40 time. years. And they were really knocking at the doorstep. They almost took down Alabama before they had that close game. So I'm... Listen, I'd rather them than Alabama any day of the week. So, uh, you know, I'm happy. That's a really loyal fan base as well. They travel well. Um, they're usually pretty, at least from the, the Twitter sphere perspective, they're not like one of the worst out there in the SEC. Right. So, yeah. And I don't think they really could be because they had never won like the national champion lsu had one auburn had one alabama so i think they had to hold the bite their tongue i'm sure things have opened up a little bit on that front now that they have it in their back pocket that's a great point you can't really talk a lot of crap if you haven't won a title in 40 years and it they just for whatever reason george has been so good and had so many good recruits and it's basically the top state for uh, high school football yep and they just couldn't do it, and they finally did it this year. And they had 15 players drafted from that team, five in the first round. Yeah. I think it was the most ever. I, I think I saw that today. The 15 was the most ever to get drafted in the in, inside of it. Maybe that stat was wrong, but I think I think it was. I mean, it's if it's not the most, it's, it's certainly close. That is a ton of players off of one team. Uh, two of which went to my Eagles, which I'm very excited about, and Davis and Nicobe Dean. That's uh, a bolster to our struggling defense. Um, I want to talk about the Hokies draft stuff in a second, but I wanted to get to a couple of news and notes out of the way. The donations that we've been getting, and this is all linked into Pry coming in and the football team kind of getting a facelift, but we got a massive $5 million donation to redo the locker room yep. uh, right as – spring game weekend was approaching or at some point in there. And then I heard news that Tim Settle made a big donation. I think uh, Coach Foster put that out on Twitter. And before that, we had a big donation from your boy Mahul, right? Yeah. So um, when Sheridan donated the $5 million, uh, he was with a company called Apex Systems. He was a co-founder. I, I bring this up just because I spent most of my career in the GovCon space, so I'm familiar with a lot of these companies. Mayhul um, is with Octo. Um, they got bought by Arlington Capital a while ago and have done a bunch of bolt-on acquisitions. He's a huge, huge uh, Hokie fan. He's, um, he's on the board of advisors. I think he's still on the board of advisors. I know they rotate people on and off. And then also in addition to the Settle News, the Fuller Brothers made a donation Um and the cornerback room is now going to be named uh, after them, which was it ties into a couple things that I, uh, I'll relate to there. I actually walked by and paid um, notice to that specific uh, position group room when I did my tour uh, at the Notre Dame game last year that we talked about. 
And I remember looking at it and saying to myself, you know, obviously that should be, you know, the fuller, fuller room. And it ended up becoming that, uh, which is pretty cool. And then I met with actually last week, um, I'm, I've gotten close with the guy that helped did that walkthrough with me. And we met over a beer last week and I asked him a few things about those gifts. And, you know, he was really excited about the money that's starting to flow in and said, a lot of good things about the culture change and and what Pry's been doing around and and a lot of the mentality of of the coaches, the support staff, and and the players as well. And wasn't there something about Tyrod Taylor donating to something as well? I feel like I I heard a nugget about that, but uh, whatever. They're, they're, the former players are are starting to what we always thought they would do. The NFL guys in particular who might have some extra pocket change. It's nice that we're hearing things that they're starting to give back. And and whether that's because we kind of got like one of Beamer's guys back in power, I don't know what the reason is, but it does seem as if Coach Pry and his assistant coaches have created a groundswell of support from not only former players, but the fans in general. Yep, I would I would definitely agree with that. Uh, and other news and notes, Bill Roth. Uh, can you believe it? It's, I'm, uh, yeah, man. That's that's another great thing from the Beamer days. Got Bill Roth back. Yeah, incredible. So he'll be uh, the voice of Hokies football once again, and I'm very excited about that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming he's still continuing his role in the communications department and what he was doing for Virginia Tech, and this will just be on on top of that. But very exciting news on that front as well. Yeah, because he's been back in Blacksburg working with the communications department. He has various classes and initiatives that he does, but he'll be back in the booth with, uh, I assume Mike Burnup. So that's, that's sweet. Uh, let's get to the draft stuff quickly. Four players were drafted, four players from the Hokies. And then we had another six players go as undrafted free agents to teams. And that's just what I've heard of so far, but James Mitchell was our first off the board. He went in the fifth round, maybe, a little bit later than we thought we'd see a Hokie go, but he went in the fifth and then Barno in the sixth, then Tanuta and then Lasita Smith. And if I had to have bet my money on it, I would have put my money on Lasitas going first. That was just how I felt. I felt like he was a rock solid draft pick and I wasn't so sure like where Barno could go third round. He could go seventh round. And the same thing with Mitchell. Like I just didn't know what was going to happen there, but Lasitas ended up going, last out of all the guys that were drafted but he still got drafted which was nice and we didn't see turner go or blackshear who declared for the draft after um after we last recorded and then we also had williams and uh brock hoffman changa hodge and romo also had landing spots but i was rooting for turner to get drafted because i wanted i wanted five of our guys in the draft and i thought we could get there and i and leading up to it i I felt like I was reading positive stuff about Turner. I thought he was going to go. Yeah, I thought so as well. And um, uh, Shadley, our long snapper, I think got picked up as well. So I saw. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, which is always fun for everybody, uh, you know, out there. So I think it ended up making um, seven that got picked up. That, okay. That, that changes so quickly. You know, mm-hmm. some of these guys can get dropped so quickly and you know, added on. So Right. I think like Hodge is like, it's like a workout, right? You know, it's, it's not really even a, you know, a training camp spot yet, mm-hmm. but that is cool about Shadley. If you 
can carve out that niche of like being a long snapper. You can have a long career in the NFL. You only play like, you know, six snaps a game. But if you can, if you're good at it, then you can just keep going and going. Yeah. Talk about, you know, being a kicker and how cool that is. Dude, it's even safer being on the long snapper. You're, you're, you're good. You're golden there. All right. And so let's talk quickly about the guys who are coming back. Cause there were some guys that could have, gone to the draft and they chose not to and that was silas janzi johnny jordan chamari connor that was a huge one coming back and drake delius and i said go to the draft but was really like be done with football because i don't think anyone outside of connor has a huge chance of being drafted in that group but getting silas back and jordan back is massive for our o-line yeah and that is especially with um you know the pickup that we have um, at offensive line coach. And I, I think if we didn't get those two, I think we could have been in big trouble. Um, and it really would, would have been, um, would, tough for, for us to put to say there or something, but now I feel pretty confident with those two coming back. Um, and Connor, I think is also, uh, you know, a really, really good, uh, pickup. I don't know, like you said, whether he would have got drafted, but Listen, there there's other people that elected to go and you know they didn't they didn't really get drafted and they you know they may make it to a workout or or two but they may not end up playing at all. And you mentioned our O-line coach that we picked up and that might have been the biggest pickup of the entire offseason and getting Silas back, getting Jordan back, there was a few other things. They all happened inside of a week, but the biggest thing that happened is that we got Joe Rudolph to come down from Wisconsin and be our O-line coach. And we're we're kind of short on guys right now, and without these two guys coming back, we'd be in trouble. But all of it is like I just feel so much better about all of it with Rudolph coming in because no matter who's there, you know they're going to get well coached, and this won't be a Penn State when they turned over coaches or FSU, when they turned over coaches where the O-line just never caught up for years and years and years, FSU still hasn't caught up on the offensive line. I think that with Joe Rudolph here, it will not take us long to get back to respectability on the O-line. So the, one of the, the guy that's um, one of the assistants for major gifts that I, that I had beers with, um, I actually asked him about Joe Rudolph and he said that I said, you know, do you have any information how that happened? And what he told me was evidently his wife has ties back to the area. I think she has family in West Virginia. So they had always kind of thought about getting back down in this area. And that was, that was part of the attraction of coming in. And this is, this is speculation. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But uh, the rumor was that, Rudolph actually called Coach Pry, and it didn't go the other way around, which would be kind of crazy if you uh, if you think about it, because they had been thinking about making that move. So, I just put that out there into the ether. It you know that could just, but it's I figure I pass along you know some of the tidbits I hear around. Well, listen, he's being well compensated, but there has to be some reason you leave that legacy and everything you've built at Wisconsin to come to a rebuild project down at Virginia Tech uh, when you're Joe Rudolph. I mean, if you talk about offensive line play in college football, there's maybe three places you mentioned, and Wisconsin is always one of them. Yep. And so it's it's unbelievable we were able to get them. So something else had to be at play. And, and something to that degree makes sense where it's like, 
reasons outside of the game yeah. that would draw you to that area. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. But that's it's it's amazing. I'm so psyched about that. Let's do a quick basketball just whatever before we get to the spring football stuff. We lost in the NCAA tournament. Texas played amazingly well, and we could not get shots up from three. Like, we really just could – it wasn't that we weren't making shots from three. We weren't taking them. Like, I guess the defense was just too good, and we couldn't get shots up. But it, it, it was a shame because we were probably a little spent from the ACC tournament. But Texas played really well, and we just couldn't overcome it. Afterwards, uh, Naheem Aline and Ojiako jumped in the portal. Mutz is testing the draft waters, and so is Aluma. Mutz may come back. It's It looks like Aluma will be gone. And Gasan also jumped in the portal. That came out a little bit later. So we're, there's a little bit of transition happening, including the pickup from Memphis that we got in John Camden, the six foot eight, high three-star at a high school transfer. And that is big if we're losing Aluma. We need a big guy. Yeah, and if you remember back, because of the rules change that – that happened. That's what allows for Luma and Mutz to come back. It used to be um, once you declared it was similar to football, you were you were gone, and then they made the rule change that you could, you know, test the waters on going and then still maintain your eligibility to come back. So, um, like you said, Luma sounds like it, it is probably going to go, but I think there's a fair chance that Mutz ends up ends up coming back, which would be which would be good. I'd, I'd be happy for him either way. If he makes it, great, and you know, good for him. If we get him back, then um, that's that's awesome as well. So, portal guys for football. We lost Tavion Robinson. We knew that. We lost Knox Kadem, Daryl Bailey, and after the last pod, I, I said we. Blackshear said he was leaving, and Burmeister said he was leaving. So we had some some guys that were going out the door at key positions, uh, but we got some new entries into the portal even still after spring ball with Brunson and Marco Lee and Jalen Hampton, Elder, Bryce Goodner just hopped in, Gibble. So there, there's a, even more attrition, which we knew was coming because we were over the scholarship limit and the COVID rule is running out. Yep. And so pretty much I think everyone needs to be at 85 scholarships going into 2022 and with the latest entries i think we're right there it's like 86 85 somewhere in there and we got pain coming in from nebraska and and whatever else the numbers will work out but that's the reason that we kind of saw this rush of of portal guys especially from the running back position because we had too many bodies there <laughs> yeah i said you know lee hampton and brunson hit the transfer portal probably because we have 2000 running backs uh, and, and they <laughs> yeah. really need to iron that out so um and then dj sims was it, that was weird I, I was reading about it today so he entered and then immediately withdrew and yeah so uh, i think he entered and I guess somebody picked up the phone and we need wide receivers. Yeah, so, we need a wide out. So, so I think people said, listen, there's, there's probably a good chance you, you you might be able to get onto the field because we really need wide receiver talent. A couple side attritions where payout retired from football because of his injuries from the wide receiver position. We, we kept waiting for his breakout season and the injuries just kept coming and coming. I feel bad for the kid, but he had to retire. And then Devin Hunter's eligibility actually ran out because the COVID year was the year that he was suspended. So it didn't count. And so he's done with football too. And again, a high recruit, uh, unfulfilled, you know, him and payout 
and different different ways that that, that happened to those two guys. But uh, but yeah, disappointing that both those guys' careers are over at Tech. Yeah, it's uh, it stinks, and it, it's you know it's unfortunate the way that Hunter's played out on multiple levels. Yeah, yeah. To, to to put it lightly, for sure. We didn't really address Coach Prize press conferences. We talked a little bit about when he was introduced, but when he was finalizing the staff, he had a presser, and he had a couple interesting things. One of which was. He talked about not throwing darts across the Mississippi for recruits. And I don't know if that was a direct shot at Texas 2VT or what, but uh but it felt it felt right because that's that's not something that we've made a history of doing under Beamer and prior to that. Like stay within the 6-hour radius and then go beyond for some shots down in Florida and whatever else, but we generally don't go across the Mississippi. So I, I kind of like that. He emphasized relationships knowing people in the Virginia high schools, like really making sure you know who you're about to talk to when you're going into these schools. And he has shown face at just about every event at Virginia Tech. He was in the snowball fight, mm-hmm. softball game, wrestling matches. He's been everywhere. Yeah, he's hit the uh, the script that uh, whether I, I always say, and I was talking about this the other day, whether it's intentional or unintentional, He's hitting like all of the points and the frustrations of Virginia Tech football that are that really hit. And I, it came up during a, a conversation I was having, evidently during one of he's been doing a lot of the uh, donor events where he goes and it's you know the high donators donations go there and get to ask questions. And I think it came up about the jet sweep. And I think his response was something along the lines is. What is with it, the Hokie fans and the in this infatuation and <laughs> hatred for the jet sweep? <laughs> was his response? Oh my gosh. Uh, but uh, yeah, I all of all of his commentary, his energy, it's uh, it's just it's fit perfectly, and he's he's checking all of the boxes on things that have caused a lot of frustration and consternation among the fan base over the last six years. It's true. I'm actually going to have to take some of the quotes from his couple introductory press conferences and put them into our intro because I adjusted it last season for JC Price. So JC's in there, but Pride left some good nuggets in there. Like he had some, uh, he had some good phrases in his press conferences that I got to get into our starting. So some point this summer, I'll, I'll work on that and we'll have an updated intro for you guys. But he emphasized competition multiple times. Almost every time he talks, he he mentions how much you need to learn to fight for everything at every practice, yards, loose balls, catches, and that the guys might be too comfortable losing. Yeah. And he wants to change that. And I mean, that's music to our ears, right? Yeah, that was that and I forget where that came out. It was either a quote or somebody Maybe Andy Bitter actually caught the quote or something along those lines, but the team being uh, not not almost comfortable with losing at a certain point. And it might have been one of the players that actually said it that, that came out. And I can't remember. It was about a month ago or something along those lines. But it was pretty shocking to hear how one of the things that he's instilling is a drive to win football games. Like – not good effort, not, hey, guys, you know, not you, you played well out there, great job, or we, that was a tough loss. Like, let, we are going to win football games. And uh, that was 
shocking to me of uh, of a lot of the pro- problems we thought were in the program and what were was going on. I never really thought that was one of them, but man, that is not good to to hear that that was not being instilled on a day to day basis and in, into the players. And maybe it's the kind of thing where coaches don't feel like they need to emphasize something like that because it should be ingrained. Well, that, they're the ones that ingrain it, <laughs> you know. Right. So maybe you weren't doing a very good job at saying the obvious. But this is all about competition. It's all about getting better. And so I, I, I just have loved everything Pry has had to say. He's done a wonderful PR job with this program so far. Now we need to see it. Not that we don't need, we don't want a Mac Brown. We don't want the PR stunts and all this kind of stuff and then no results, you know? Yep. We want to see it continue into the fall, and, and I'm hoping that'll happen. I went over who we lost in the portal, but let's talk about who we gained because a couple of big guys came in, I think, in January, and that was Grant Wells, quarterback from Marshall, and Jason Brown, quarterback from South Carolina. And since, you know, Burmeister was leaving and we were struggling mightily at that position, depth-wise especially, getting these two guys in the door, Grant Wells specifically, who's been a two-year starter at Marshall, is absolutely huge. He has 35 career touchdowns. 22 picks, and a strong arm, a very strong arm, a little bit stronger than Brown's, but Brown took a longer path to get to D1, kind of had to bounce around a little bit. But last year, when thrust into action, he beat Auburn and he beat Florida. He can play a little bit. And so whether that means he becomes a backup or maybe you know plays really well in the fall and becomes a starter, we'll see. But getting those two guys is just massive for our team. I mean, we went from looking at maybe three wins without those two guys to maybe we can start to touch six, seven, eight wins. Who knows? Yeah. And Grant Wells is a red shirt sophomore because of the, the rules. So if he does come in and, and wins the job, uh, there is, there's some tenure that we could have there ahead of us and letting him develop over, over the next couple of years. So that's, that's really solid without those two. Like you just said, we would be, in big, big trouble. And it ties into uh, Blumrick and and what we're doing with him, trying to get him into some sort of offensive capacity, whether it be kind of a wide receiver or tight end, you know, slot guy, or even running the ball on maybe like a jet sweep or something like <laughs> Maybe a little flea flicker action since he's a former quarterback. <laughs> Yeah, we. I want to talk about Blumrick in a second, but in that same vein, let's talk about the wide receivers that came in the portal because we got Jaden Blue from Temple, and he was a very highly productive player a couple years ago, and I think has potential to be our number one guy, really should be our number one guy at wide receiver, I think, going into the season. But we also got Steven Gosnell from UNC, whose brother uh, is on our team, Benji Gosnell. So... Those were two nice additions because we needed quarterbacks, we needed wide receivers, and we also needed defensive end depth. And that's where Payne comes in from Nebraska. That was a very nice addition, kind of a grad transfer situation for him. I think he only has – he might have two years, but it might only be one. Either way, we need depth at defensive end. Um, Filled a lot of needs with the portal this this go-around. Yeah, and – that's that's the game. It's it's shifting that way to the 
I've heard on podcasts from people that, you know, whether it's cover three podcast or, you know, if you go to pretty much any of them, the audible, um, there's, there's a lot of commentary that the coaches are spending as much, if not more time evaluating the transfer portal now than they are on high school recruits. That's how quickly things have changed in, in what the transfer portal is offering teams. Because if you think about it, it makes sense. The We just saw it, what, 27 head coaches or something along those lines all got, got fired over this past season. The the timeline for reaching success for head coaches has shrunk so much that some people are only getting a year, I mean, and or two years. So you're you're not if you're not getting the time to scout those high school recruits and bring them in and you're gonna be judged on performance that quickly in your tenure as a head coach, how are you gonna do that? It's a transfer portal. I mean it makes right. the, it, those two things are working in tandem to to really shift focus to the transfer portal to meet immediate needs to try and get as early production uh, from the team that you have as possible. Yeah, you want the results as quickly as you can get them. And with the one-time transfer rule, that's through the portal. And between NIL and the first-time transfer, the, the whole college football landscape has already drastically changed, and it's going to continue to change over the next like three to four years while everything gets adjusted. Because we just saw the best player on Georgia Tech go to Alabama. Yeah, I mean, that's not – and the best player on Pitt, Pitt. – just just left what for USC? Yeah, and they think he's going to make like three million a a year or something along those lines. The Blitnikoff winner, yeah. and and these are the kind of guys who they develop at a school, and if there was no one time transfer rule, they probably just they don't want to wait an extra year to go to the NFL. They probably stick it out at their current university, play their last year, and go to the NFL. But now you can transfer for free and not sit out a year. Yep. And so I wonder if that will go back at some point yeah. because NIL is here to stay and, and it, and it will morph and whatever. And they'll, they're going to try to get away from pay for play situations, which is basically what's happening with Addison. But the way to do that is to get rid of the one-time transfer. If you made Addison sit out a year, he's not doing that. Right. Uh, so, it, and listen, I, I want players to get their money however they can get it. If it means Pitt loses a good receiver, that's fine. It'll probably end up with Tech losing a good player at some point down the road to go get a paycheck at a, at a bigger school. But it, it's going to be – it's just you have to navigate the waters. Whatever it's put in front of you, and I'm confident that Pry and his staff are, are going to be able to do that because the staff is enormous. Yeah. We have like 48 football staff now. Yep. That is – up there with Clemson and Georgia and the best schools in the country have about 50 football staff and we're right there. Yeah. I actually went through today cause I was looking for some names and I had to scroll so far through just the athletics department and the football. I, I mean, there are multiple people whose title is just focused on transfers and transfer portals. Some of that is compliance related and some of it is actually scouting related. It is, it's crazy. Uh, you know, yeah. the number of people that it takes to, um, to run the program, at least to, to try and be successful these days. Before we get to our beer break, I wanted to 
start talking about spring football practice. And I've got some notes here, and I know you do too, but I put out on Twitter maybe about a month ago, of the things that have come out this spring, what are you most excited about? And I got a, a handful of different reactions. Most people said the spring game being on TV, having the open practices, former players back, uh, guys getting moved around so they can fill positions, which we're going to talk about in a second. No more corn. That was a big one. Uh, Brad Glenn's press conference, because he was talking about the QBs not practicing too tight and understanding the mental aspect of the game. Uh, a separate OC and QB coach, which I do think is a key thing. Someone said that. Uh, not handcuffing the decision-making. Having multiple playable quarterbacks, which is something we really could have used last year. A true passing tree. Blumrick kind of working at a position that he might be better suited for. The return of Bill Roth. The schemes, both offensively and defensively. And the staff going all out and recruiting Roanoke. NRV, Richmond, and Northern Virginia. Um, of those things I said and all the things that just have come to mind over the last few months, what have you been most excited about hearing out of the spring news and notes? It's got to be the recruiting for me. It, it's just because it was so bad and there was so much it, – it's all come out. You know, Most of it has come out at this point, how bad it got with some of the high school football coaches in the state uh, under um, – under Fuente. So I, it has to be the recruiting. It, we, and I know that's a little bit counter to what I just said about how much focus there is on the transfer portal and early production, but we just saw it with Fuente. We generally have a relative, we have a relatively patient fan base that I do think we can, you know, bring in the talent from Virginia and surrounding states and, and develop them without, you know, being one of the teams out there that's calling for somebody's head after year one or year two. So that I think is hearing the positive news, the pictures, the comments from high school coaches on Twitter about, you know, visits. I think that has stood out to me the most. The The movement of players around, I think, shows flexibility it shows good scouting of what people can do to help assist the team because they're good athletes whether it's you know Jenkins moving uh getting a chance at field backer um Gunnar Givens at defensive tackle um like Hawkins I think flipped a safety spot you know Rudolph going to defensive end whatever those are I think that shows an open mind to figuring out and putting people in the right places whether that works or not I we won't know until we see it on the field and once we until we start seeing production. So it's hard for me to get too excited for that. Obviously, everybody is excited about Bill Roth coming back. I, I'm excited about all those things, um, but it, the recruiting I think for me has been um, one of our most uh, dire needs in in having to change this program and the perception of this program, especially within the state. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited about the emphasis that's put on the relationships and fostering the Virginia recruiting. But I also I love I don't know how good Brad Glenn's going to be, but I like what he had to say regarding quarterback because it's the most important position on the field. And just when we just saw and read the articles about Corn telling the guys where to throw it and if it's not open, just don't do anything kind of thing. 
Brad Glenn and was a refreshing. His commentary on the quarterback group, like development and how to how they practice, how they play, how they understand the game. That is what I'm excited about. And I'm excited about the development potential of this coaching staff in general because we see teams that recruit well, like the Miamis of the world and even UNC's put a lot of four stars on that team. Doesn't make you good. Yeah. You need to develop them. They need to know how to play. And I think that between Pry being kind of a defensive guru, so to speak, I mean, he was the coordinator of many, many good defenses and had tons of All-Americans and guys going in the draft and all this kind of stuff. That's what I'm excited about. I, I want to see the development, but that's not kind of like a headline item, but there are so many things that I could point to and be positive about this spring. I mean, everyone is feeling good about the Hokies. Even we're seeing the fans down at the spring jam the night before the game, uh, hosted by the Sons of Saturday and all the former players, and it's just like, God, I'm getting so juiced up for what this program could be again. Yeah, and I, I want to go back to a point that you made that I probably overlooked, which is the development aspect of things. And, it, you know, you said it's not really a headline kind of topic uh, because it's hard. It's hard to evaluate and whether you don't know until players actually start getting developed and seeing what they do on the field. But I do think it's relevant from a headline perspective if we look at Hendon Hooker. I know Josh Heupel and his offense is extremely productive and those sorts of things. But this is a guy that was on our on our team as a starter that decided to transfer. And if he has a season this, this season like he did last season, he's potentially going to be a first or second round draft pick, which is insane. That, I think, is so unbelievably shocking uh if you really put it in that type of context uh, granted yeah. hypel is is an offensive mind he's great with it he did it at ucf he's obviously doing it at tennessee but that is just like the exclamation point on you know development the qb problems the either pass it you pass it here and even if you pass it somewhere else and you weren't supposed to and make a completion or a touchdown, you get yelled at on the sidelines because you didn't throw it where it needed to be. So I probably overlooked that, and I think it's a it's a good point you brought up. Yeah, the Hendon Hooker thing, it's even though the coach that, you know, got him transferred is gone and all this stuff, it's still it's still going to be bittersweet watching his highlights this this year. Like I I root for him and I will continue to root for him, but it's like God, we we had that guy, you know, and he's he's very good, and he was good for us yep. for a stretch there. But the development wasn't there. He got poor co- poorly coached, and we've seen him get schemed up by a really good coach and and do great things. He got a couple receivers and and stuff uh, drafted at Tennessee because of how well he played. Yep, yep, pretty incredible. All right, let's take a quick beer break before we move to all of our spring notes and spring game recap and whatnot. So we're going to reverse it because I have a story to tell that I want to hit. Don't do it quickly. So I'm going to ask you first this time what okay. you're drinking, and then I'll hit it, and then I'll I'll run through my, my kind of funny story that you already know pretty quickly. All right. I am drinking the Savagely Delicious. This is a Crooked Hammock Brewing beer from Delaware where I'm from. I got this from my brother-in-law, Jimmy. I've got two brother-in-laws. They both love beer 
and they're actually brothers that married my sisters. It's very, very <laughs> weird, but they both love beer. So I, I got lucky in that regard. And Jimmy gave me this at Easter and is a savagely delicious. It kind of sounds like magically delicious because this is a Lucky Charms beer. <laughs> it tastes like Lucky Charms. It's got all kinds of different hops in it and whatever, but it's got like the lactose sugar. Mm-hmm. So it's got that little bit of sweetness and it's got like Lucky Charms like uh, images all over the can and it smells like Lucky Charms. And although it's it's got a bitter finish because there's hops in it and it's a beer, but it tastes like Lucky Charms. It's really good. I would recommend this beer. And like I said, it's from Delaware. They brew out uh, of Lewis, which is down near the beach, and then Middletown. And I think they actually have a spot in Myrtle Beach as well, but it's primarily from Delaware. Crooked Hammock Brewing. Savagely delicious. One of the healthiest cereals you can have in for your children uh, anything yeah. yeah it's 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 got oats in it but it also has marshmallows uh nothing yes, like that yes. in in for breakfast and I, I think it just was in the news for getting some people sick too they had like a major recall of lucky charms but the beer the beer survived it's it's good <laughs> that's hilarious what are you drinking man so i am having this has got to be brand new because you know i'm always on the lookout for non-alcoholic beers so I am drinking, I just found this two days ago. So this is hot off the presses. Uh, I am drinking a Guinness, a zero non-alcoholic Guinness that they have now released um, and is oh, available is it a in stores. It is Guinness. It is, uh, yes. Oh, wow. It is uh, a traditional Guinness beer. Guinness is kind of low on alcohol content anyway. You know, Most people, I think, know that by now, but it's it's pretty low. Um, so it doesn't have a ton of alcohol kind of hit to it anyway. Um, and it's always, it's always been that way. So it's, it's filling, but, um, I gotta tell you, this is pretty damn close to just like a regular Guinness. Um, it, it tastes almost exactly like it. I had, I had my wife take a sip of it and get her thoughts as well. She loves Guinness and she was like, yeah, you could probably pour that out for somebody and they would just mistake it for just like a regular Guinness. So it is a Guinness Zero. Um, I hate, I'm i always on the lookout. This is the first time I've seen it. I found out at the local beer shop and that is what I am I'm having. So for any um, people looking at Yeah, man, at I have not seen that anywhere. That's got to be brand new. That's awesome. Yeah, so I hope they stick with it. Some people you know, throw out these non-alcoholic beers and then they end up kind of, you know, exploring it and then shutting it down if they if they don't work out so that's what i'm having i'll jump into the story i'll make it quick um you already know it so i am a member at a local golf course here in vienna and uh, i'm in between work i left my job and looking for what i'm going to be doing next so i've been playing a lot of golf so i was checking the tee sheet uh the evening i think it was like a tuesday night Monday or Tuesday night, and I'm looking at the tee sheet the next day because I like I go out as a single a lot, and I'll play and I'll just join other groups and meet new people. And I'm looking through, and I see uh, a foursome and Sean Glennon and a guy Eddie Royal that are in this foursome, and I'm like, there, there's just no way that this is just coincidence. And Sean Glennon's name on the reservation is spelled incorrectly, but it it, it was clearly them. So. I'm looking at it. They're supposed to tee off at 9:20, and the 9:10 or the 9:30 spot is open. So immediately, I book the 9:30 spot. And so, <laughs> so the next morning, I show up early because I know 
they're football players. So there is 0% chance. These are the type of guys that just show up and, you know, to the first tee and don't hit the driving range. I just already know it. So lo and behold, I get to the driving range. They're all up there. There's another former, um, defensive tackle or offensive tackle. I can't recall who it was, uh, an older guy. And then, um, I think one of their lawyers, that's like a, a lawyer or wealth manager. That's the actual member, uh, who is a bunch of the Virginia tech, you know, former, like the NFL guys, you know, does a bunch of work for them. So long story short, it's Eddie, then Sean, I, I take the spot next to him. And, um, so Sean's like, I didn't want to bother him. So everybody's just hitting balls. They're, they're hitting them pretty well. Sean can hit the ball, you know, really far. I can't really see Eddie too much. Sean goes over to uh, the, um, goes, they have their tee time first. So he walks over to the starter and Eddie comes walking by. So I'd like completely like, I'm like, I do like one of those like kind of quizzical looks. Like I didn't already know what was going to happen. <laughs> right. Like, And I'm like, and I walk up to him. I said, Hey, it, you wouldn't by any chance be Eddie Royal, would you? He's like, yeah, yeah. But he's got like, you know, the diamond earrings in. And I was like, oh man, I'm a huge fan. And um, he was like, oh really? And he didn't know if it was like NFL or if it was college. And I was like, yeah, it's Virginia Tech. And he was like, oh, of course. Yeah, the Virginia Tech uh, people always come up to me. You guys love me. You guys are great. And then he starts asking me a little bit about the course. He says he hasn't played out there, et cetera. So I tell him a little bit about the course. Tell him like, you know, where you should be watching out for stuff. We have like kind of a quick five minute conversation. I say, Hey, hit him well, blah, blah, blah. So that made my day. So fast forward into this week and there's a fire department is doing like a fundraiser beer festival right down the street. And me and my wife, um, I brought my daughter. We're walking down there and it's crowded as heck. Uh, and a bunch of people are drinking. Everybody's hanging out. There's food stands, food trucks, all that sort of thing. And I'm just walking through the crowd and this guy comes just like walking straight towards me, um, like with a smile on his face. And he's like, hey, what's up, buddy? And I was so caught. I, I didn't like I, I like my brain hadn't like flipped that it was Eddie Royal again, that like he remembered me from Westwood. <laughs> and he's like, hey, what's up? So we like, you know, we like shook hands, like, you know, dapped, like, you know, he's like, yeah, man, good to see you again. And I was like, I didn't want to like take up his time again. So I was just like, Hey man, you know, hope you have fun at the festival and like took off. And then my wife comes up to me afterwards. She was like, who's, who was that? That guy like came up to you. Like he, like he knew you. I was like, that's Eddie Royal. She's like, (laughs) that's my buddy. I was like, I was like, like, man, I really hope he's applying for membership at, at my golf club because that would be awesome. So Hopefully it was a quick story, but a funny one. And uh, yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely stalked them. Uh, is probably how you could put it. But I, I was respectful. I didn't bother them at the range. I waved them for hit their balls, and uh, I, I, I only oh, quasi stalked. I would have done the same thing. That's fantastic. <laughs> I, and it's even cooler that Eddie uh, remembered mm-hmm. you a couple weeks later. Like that yeah. shows you the kind of guy he is too. Like yep. he, he put a, a face to to the conversation. Yep. Uh, it's funny cause you told me that story like over the weekend or whatever. And I was telling my wife, I was like, Oh yeah, Robbie ran into our former player, like after the golf thing and, you know, said what's up to him and whatever. And it started this conversation about who Eddie Royal was. Yeah. And he started as we were kind of finishing college. That's right. And, but I remember when Eddie made it to the NFL, wasn't he on the Broncos when he first started? Yeah. And 
there was a Monday night football game, I'm pretty sure, when he was a rookie. And they were playing against the Raiders and D. Hall. Mm -hmm. And that night, I don't know what happened to D. Hall, but Eddie, like, went off. (laughs) He had, like, over 100 yards, like, maybe, like, nine catches. I had – listen, to be fair – I haven't, this is how I'm remembering it. I haven't looked any of this up, but this is the story I'm telling my wife. I was like, oh yeah, that guy, he played in the NFL for a long time and he torched one of our other players in the NFL. (laughs) One that was like an all pro in D'Angelo Hall. So I just remember that story. I'm wondering if that came to your mind as well. Yeah, I mean, he played nine seasons, played Denver, he played for the Chargers and then he finished his career uh, at Chicago. Um and you know he was productive. He had almost a thousand yards in his his first season. Um, yeah, he blew up as a rookie. Yes, it was like out of nowhere. Yeah, um, and then it kind of fell off as his career went on. But he had you know six hundred yards receiving in two thousand and ten. With uh, his most productive years were, but then yeah, you know, when even when he was with the Chargers, two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen. Um, played pretty well. I'm looking at his stat line right now. He spent all of his time on the West Coast, but yeah, I I still think about that that game. I'm pretty sure it was a Monday night game. I'll look up the game log later on to see how much, see how many catches he had against the Raiders that night. Anyway, let's get back to spring football. I'm not sure exactly where we should start. You talked a little bit about the position changes. We had Gunnar Givens going to DT and Penny to DT earlier last year. Uh, Lakeem Rudolph, he switched to defensive end. The McDonald twins have moved a couple different places. We got Jordan at defensive end now, and Jaden's at the uh, Will linebacker position. Jarrah Walker moved to Sam from safety. And then uh, the biggest one, I guess, was Blumrick potentially being a wide receiver at the end. And part of that was because Pry mentioned him as one of the 22 best players on the roster. Right. Yeah, in terms Which, of just should like, we be scared about that? Or? <laughs> no, I mean he was he was definitely he's an athletic guy yes. for sure. He, he couldn't. I mean, it's amazing that he even did what he was able to with his legs because I mean he threw the ball what three times I think the whole time you know he was in at at quarterback. So he definitely can move. He can definitely take a hit. Um, and I think he won. I forget what the award is, but like um, oh teammate teammate of the, teammate of the year. Yeah. Most likely because he made it the spring. Yeah, because he was willing to kind of move around and, um, you know, most likely stay very positive about it. So I think it's, I, he seems like a good athlete. So, uh, you know, best player versus, you know, one of their better athletes. I don't know. Maybe he minced words a little bit. So I, I don't know if I want to be too frightened by it, but I'm glad to see if, if we can, he can be productive, then all the better. It kind of makes sense based on what happened to him at Texas A&M too, because if you remember when he transferred, he was listed as like a running back, yeah. but he had played wide receiver, tight end there, and then also quarterback because he has a cannon for an arm. Like it, it's it's bizarre what what his career is, but I'm hoping because we need pass catchers. We keep emphasizing it, but I think we can really utilize him because he is a good athlete, and that would be really fun to see. Let's start with some of the uh, pre-spring game notes on the quarterbacks. And what the coaches were saying was that Brown and Wells had set themselves apart. And that's because you're going up against Taj Bullock, who is basically a freshman. I mean, he came in last year in kind of a mess of a situation. And then Farrell, who actually is a true freshman here early for spring. So it makes sense that Brown and Wells 
set themselves apart and that they they were completing like 70% of their passes through the first nine practices is what they said. Um, Glenn even went it so far as to say they were ahead of where he thought they would be at that point. So that was nice. And some of that played out in the spring game. They could name a starter after spring. Um, they haven't done it yet. I kind of doubt they'll do it until the fall. I think they want to keep everyone engaged and going. And hopefully this doesn't turn into the Fuente thing. If it becomes clear, they'll name it. Fuente always kind of took a little too long yep. up until we had Burmeister because it was we had nobody yes. else and we all knew what was going to happen there. But Pry has been very like positive on both Wells and Brown. And, and me specifically, I, we saw it in the spring game, but even going into that game, Wells is the guy. I mean, he he's the the two year starter. He's got the better arm, a little bit of a gunslinger. It could be, you know, the 22 interceptions do kind of get your mind going towards, uh, there could be a little negative here, but you want to lean into the talent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Lean into the talent, especially in the development of the talent. You know, we talked about, um, he's got, he's got some years ahead of him to play as well. And, uh, and I, I do think we need somebody, um, with an arm, the gunslinging, I think that can be reined in a little bit. I think that's, I think you don't want to rein it in too much because sometimes that's, but you can coach say, it. Yeah. Out. You can coach out or coach it, coach it safely. Like fine. If you're going to sling it, then do it in like these types of situations and avoid these other types of situations, um, without, you know, handcuffing him to trying to turn him into something that maybe he's not comfortable being. So I, I, I think that can, I think that can be worked through. Yeah, that was well said. I think Jaden blue at the wide receiver position will make a big impact. He, he looks the part physically. Um, he is dealing with the death of his father. He his dad was fatally shot, like right after he got to tech and you know, the, They've put out stuff on social media, whether it's prior or otherwise. They've been very supportive. Um, but he was like on the phone with his father when he was shot. Yeah. And so that's a very traumatic thing. And so I'm I know Jaden Blue is a good player and that he could be a very good player. But I don't know if this is gonna be that year for him because he has gone through a lot. But he played in the spring game. Um being on the white team with Brown as his quarterback and not a very good offensive line, he wasn't able to like really show his talent. Yep. But I think when it comes to fall, he will be a valuable member of our wide receiving core for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that story is just it's just so rough. Um, and then, you know, um, Caleb Smith uh, at that position as well. <laughs> Obviously, you know, three catches, but 105 yards in the in the, in the spring game and. Um, you know, a lot of talk as they interviewed him about just given his size and he was always felt like, and you know, in reality was overlooked a bit. So I think he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder in the way that he's approaching the season, which I always like I, that, that I think motivates players and it makes them really want to, you know, prove themselves, uh, you know, out there on the field and that they, they really belong and they should have always belonged. And sometimes that's it. It's like, you guys never gave me the real, the real shot, whether that's reality or not, if that's a good, it's good mentality to take into the season. Yeah. I think a little bit of confidence for a guy like Smith could go a very long way and he should have that confidence after those two TDs in the spring game. I mean, they were, they were the two highlights of the game. I mean, that that's what we all remember from that spring game and what we will remember going forward. And you know 
if you think back to when you were in college and I know I had a lot of friends that were basically a year older mm-hmm. um, and they all left. And once they left, you, you feel that little bit of a, of a gap in like who you are at school. But then you realize like, no, I, I'm the oldest one here now. Yep. And you kind of like, there's a, there's a newfound confidence in being like, you know, the leader for your younger friends. And I feel like that's kind of what Caleb Smith may be going through now. And not, not that he was necessarily older than Trey or Tavion, but they were ahead of him in the pecking order. And now it's him. Yep. And he has a chance to be the guy. Yeah, I agree. I think Gosnell also has an opportunity to grab a starting wide receiver spot. I know he didn't play a ton at UNC, but along with Smith, probably likes his size. They're both kind of bigger guys, and we are lacking in other options. So I think that an older guy like Gosnell could grab a spot. That was kind of talked about a little bit. And I think Chance Black could end up playing a little bit in the wide receiver. We're going to get to the running back in a second, but like – they love Chance Black, whether it's kick returning or hands out of the backfield or whatever. But I think we could see him as a hybrid kind of pass catcher in this offense. Yeah, there has been already talk about moving him around a bit. So um, that could be, you know, with that, the the running back room, it's still, it's still heavily loaded. So <laughs> it's uh, getting him into a, a new position and, and one where he can be a factor, I think would be good because yeah, the coaches do love, love him and, and love his athleticism. So that would be great. The next guys up would be Lofton and Jones. Yep. And Lofton was praised throughout spring for his work ethic and things like that. And I think Jones had a catch in the spring game or a nice little play. Uh, those are the guys that we need to see if Fontel Mines, the new wide receiver coach, can develop because the last staff thought very highly of them, and now it seems like the new staff. So, like those guys got something. It seems evident that they've got something. We got to hope that that can continue to grow as we go down the line with the wide receivers. Yep. As for running back, we started spring with nine guys for six slots, and. Lo and behold, we're basically at six guys for six slots now because of the transfer portal, because I think it became clear who was going to play and who wasn't going to play. But it was said that Malachi was the most consistent running back throughout the spring. Yes. And he he looks it. I mean, he absolutely, I think he really fits the, the mold for it. And, you know, you had Holston, Keyshawn King never really, or has not, I shouldn't, I never really want to say that because you don't know what's going to happen. People can continue to develop. Never really got there. And Chance Black, this, if they're talking about moving him around, it kind of gives you a little bit of a signal that um, it's really Malachi and Jalen Holston as kind of, you know, the two that are they're there. And then um, we'll see what they do with Chance Black. And then if, you know, Keyshawn King, I mean, he's a junior now, I think. So um, if he can if he can find his his role in there as um, and, and it was it was tough. Nobody really in the spring game got the majority of carries. They kind of let everybody. So nobody really got much of a read. So all of this were kind of taking off of um, little nuggets from comments from the coaches and, and what they've been saying of, of how spring practice has gone. Yeah, no one showed themselves to be head and shoulders above anyone else in the spring game. I think Holston had 24 yards, Malachi had 25, something something yep. like that, right? Yes. And then um, K- 
King, they, they kept talking about King, and we know King has talent. And maybe he'll catch on, you know, returning the football or getting some carries. Bryce Duke is also mentioned, but like being an incoming freshman, we know that he's going to be a little bit on the back burner. But with Malachi, Holston, and King, you got a nice little trio of guys that you know can at least play a little. Yep. And then you add in Chance Black and the upside there, I'm very excited about. And he he had an opportunity to make a play or two. But again, the offensive line, and probably, probably went in on this a couple of different times, when you split up the offensive line, especially with a coaching turnover and the fact that we're at like 13 scholarship players, it's not going to be good for the running game in the, in the spring game. That's right. Yeah, it makes it, it once, and that's why I I withhold kind of some of my judgment, even about the quarterbacks, because you had once you split up the offensive line, you really don't know. There's no. Yeah, those guys were still no touch. Uh, the other two quarterbacks um, <laughs> signaling that they are obviously not not in play for for starting games uh, uh, were were live, but the other two were not. It's just it's really hard to to kind of grasp anything, especially when you when you split up the offensive line under both sides. And just going over the offensive line in general, behind the starters, when we get to twenty twenty two. Behind the starters, it is thin. Yep. Like we we have what should be five decent starters, and that's why the depth showed up in the spring game because you don't have five guys on each side that can play. Janzi, probably Hanson, Jordan, Moore, and Clements are will be your starters, and then I don't know. Like well, I really don't. Well, know. I mean, I'm I'm just looking here at Andy Bitters backups so you got boyd who's a redshirt freshman schick is a redshirt shirt sophomore bujanowski is a redshirt freshman hollyfield's a redshirt freshman and jones is a redshirt freshman and behind them there's a freshman and a redshirt freshman so i you know i don't really think you can get much younger than that in terms of uh, a backup so i i think we got five and and Beyond that, we're really some guys are. Rudolph's going to earn his his cash this year. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the only reason I'm not like really, really worried about not going to a bowl because of Rudolph. Because when you look at this offensive line under the last regime, under anyone, like yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look good. Like you take one injury. And you're in deep, you know what? So, um, I exactly Rudolph's going to have to work magic if we're going to be respectable in the pass game, respectable in the run game, whatever. And Bowen's going to earn his money too because he's going to have to scheme around this offensive line and their depth issues. Yep, I agree. All right, let's move to the defense because this is an area where we have a lot more depth, where there's a lot of experience, and you look across like who got the defensive baller of the day and spring baller. Um, it was basically every heavy hitter on the defense. I mean, you had two timers in, in Connor and Taiwan Garbit, which are guys we obviously know, but it was Murray and Pollard and Peoples and Tisdale and Hollifield. Fuga won most improved. I mean, it is nice to see familiar names when you're dealing with a coaching turnover like this. And 
again, it comes back to the defensive line. It's something me and you have, we've kind of debated on what needs more help, DT or DE, um, because the whole line has needed help for years now. And we brought in Jordan Williams, and we've gotten some other portal guys to try to fill gaps here and there. But um, but again, you got to win from the trenches. And I don't feel great about this D-line, but I feel good about D-tackle. Yeah. And, and, and I like Garbutt a lot, but like, what, what do you feel better about, DT or DE? I mean, definitely – defensive tackle i mean pollard has he showed up last year started playing really well he was playing well in the spring game actually was kind of i guess chirping they said afterwards that he thought he had a few sacks um that they they didn't get calls on i mean you have mario kendricks you got fuga um penne so i mean you hit it the nail on the head i mean when you're looking at this you got a you know defensive tackle. You got a junior, a junior, a redshirt sophomore, a sophomore. Defensive end Garbett is a redshirt senior. Jalen Griffin's a redshirt senior. Eli Adams, who we've talked about for a long time, and whether he was gonna he he started to play a little bit and then he kind of took a back seat as a redshirt junior. There's just there's a lot of experience at least on on this side of the ball. Um, on across the defensive line, but I am much more confident in the defensive tackle spot. Um, and it, we we haven't seen as much from the defensive end in in quite a few years as as maybe we've been accustomed to. Um, kind of back when. A key to also think about when you say redshirt junior or redshirt sophomore is that that's actually like an extra year yes. because it's not just three years as a junior. And a fourth year as a redshirt. It's actually a fifth year because of the COVID yes. year as well. So yeah, yeah. So each of those you can kind of plus one too. So it is, it is. The, the experience is not going to be an excuse um, for the defensive side of the ball. Exactly. There's been a lot of movement on the defensive line. We mentioned some of, some of the guys coming into that position, like. We're trying to find defensive ends. That's why we've moved C.J. McRae and Lakeem Rudolph to that position. Cole Nelson was a defensive end recruit. He worked with the ones at DE opposite Garbutt many times over the spring, and the former staff also liked him a lot. The other top option would be Griffin. So it'll probably be Nelson or Griffin as the number one DE, but like McCray was with the twos and he was making strides, uh, and he's a lot better than when he got here is how they put it uh, from Marshall because he was a transfer. And Fuga won most improved, for the spring and got tons of praise at defensive tackle. Kendricks was hurt. And I think uh, one of the other backups was hurt, but Penne, the the guy from France mm-hmm. who we've moved to defensive tackle, he stood out like he's, he's been getting a lot of love. He could be the third or fourth defensive tackle when the season starts. So Pollard, like you said, during the game, Fuga, Penne, Kendricks. I mean, there's some guys that we know can play there. So I'm I'm excited about that position. Defensive end, getting pressure on the QB, I'm not so optimistic about. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, those guys are going to – something's going to have to – you know, those guys are going to really have to step up. And Garbett had times um, that he was good last year. I mean, Garbett's uh, good. Yeah. Garbett's a good player. Yeah. Uh, and he's an old player, but he's just one guy. Yep, that's right. So at linebacker – We've got two guys you'd be familiar with, Dax and uh, Alan Tisdale. They're the leaders for the Mike and Will linebacker position. And you'll notice there is some different 
nomenclature here. We've got Mike, we've got Sam, and we've got Will. And the Sam linebacker is the field linebacker, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that's the one that is easy to learn, hard to play. The assignments are simple. It's a matter of making sure, as Bud Foster would say, your head catches up with your feet and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, the, the the instinct is really kind of the the key there. So, um, but again, I come back to uh, you have Dax obviously been around for forever, um, Tisdale and Keyshawn Artis. It, it, these guys have been are all either seniors, redshirt juniors, so that plus a year. So they've all been in the program for like four or five years at this point. Um, so I feel good about what we're starting with. And Dean Ferguson, I think, saw the field a little bit. Um, he and did. he played um, behind that. Uh, I'm not really sure there that we have too much because I think it's it's freshmen, um, or at least redshirt freshmen behind him. There was a lot of talk about J.R. Walker's transitional linebacker, and his name got mentioned a lot. But I didn't necessarily notice it being followed up with like, he's doing well. He's adjust like, it was like Jar Walker's gonna try out uh, playing Sam or field linebacker. It's like okay, and then that's kind of like all I heard about it. And I think they've been kind of struggling to find backup Wills and backup Sams and or starting Sams for that matter. And that's why they've been rotating McDonald's brothers through and Jenkins and Lawson and all these different guys. Um, I, I don't know what's going to end up happening, but as the future goes down the line, they really like Jaden Keller at that will spot. They they think that he plays fast, he plays aggressive, and Marv was was very uh, complimentary of him. And that that's the funny thing about the will. He said, like, that position is actually the most complicated on the defense is the will linebacker, whereas the Sam is hard to execute but is easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's... um. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it'll be interesting. I, I but the fact that we have Dax and Tisdale, yeah. like there, there's a there's a floor for how bad the linebacker position can be. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. So the last thing we're gonna talk about is the DBs, and this is like offensive line in that across the top five starters, if you're gonna go five deep and Nickelback and whatever. It's it's good. I mean, there's a lot of names we've heard of, a lot of guys that we're comfortable with playing, um, but getting to the depth is where we are very young. Yeah, that is um, going to be. I mean, Murray obviously um, became a fan favorite um, for a few of his plays um, last year. Then Chapman, um, Nadir Thompson, Dorian Strong. I mean, I think, I think, I think. The starters in this position um, at both corner and safety and Tamar Connor and then Nazir Peoples um, over at the safety position are, I mean, they're solid. I mean, we, we should know what we're, what we're getting from each of these. That said, um, there, there was ample room for improvement, let's put it that way, from each of these guys last year. I mean, it, it seemed mm -hmm. like... One guy would have a good game, and then you know two others would would you know fall off a cliff, and and it was always kind of just shifting around that they could never really put it all the way together into a cohesive unit. So I'll, I'll be interested um, with with the new staff, 
with Coach Prime and his defensive mentality, whether he's able to kind of fit those puzzle pieces together to get it more cohesive and a little bit more consistent um, because it would seem like, you know, the offenses were able to pick on who was having a bad day pretty, pretty easily last year. When I look at strong Chapman Murray, you know, Murray being the nickel, like that's a good trio of corners. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. When you bring in a defensive coach, you would hope some of that rubs off on the entire defense. And having this many veterans, there's a chance that this defense, from a starter's perspective, could hit the ground running and actually be like one of the better units in the ACC. The question is how fast can the rest of the guys, the backups, the two deep, get developed and play? If you look at the backups at DB, you've got Howard, Harvey, and Cam Johnson. They seem like your next corners. And then at safety, it's it's Strowman. Yeah. But we we could afford to bring in a transfer portal safety or something like that. We lost Tay Daly. Mm-hmm. Um but I still think starting wise, the defense is so far ahead of the offense, it's it's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this is a, a side of the ball with so much experience, so many veterans. Uh it could be it could be pretty fun to watch. I, I, I really do think they'll be good. It's a it's a question of development, like hitting the weight room for some of these guys. We've always kind of talked about Tisdale not being like the weight or the strength that he should be Dorian strong. Another one, like can these guys get a little bit bigger, get a little bit tougher and with better coaching play better. That's what we're kind of hoping for on the defensive side of the ball. Let's talk about the spring game weekend in general. We had the golf tournament where all the former players like came back and played. And that was one of the coolest things about looking at all the pictures online was how many former players were in attendance, whether it was the spring jam or the golf tournament or whatever. It was Bruce Smith, Tyrod, Cam Chancellor, D Hall, Wyatt Teller, Fuller brothers, Edmonds brothers. I mean, any like big NFL player we've had was there. It was, it was pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, it's huge uh, to get those guys back in. And there was some talk and some rumbling about, you know, those guys not being as excited to come back or at least not feeling as welcome to come back or um, maybe not welcome, but as encouraged to come back um, right. is probably a better way to put it um, previously. But it sounds like, you know, they, the coaching staff and the administration and the support staff kind of went full board to make sure they could get as many of them to, to the spring game as possible. Was there anything like about the spring game other than I, we talked about Wells, we talked about Caleb Smith. Was there anything about the game itself before we kind of get to the whole weekend in general that stood out that we, you feel like needs commentary? Um, no, just probably the complete lack of, I forget which, was it the white team that almost did nothing? Um, yeah, they they didn't didn't do anything. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was, that was a little startling. I mean, you knew like one side was going to be set up to be more productive than the other. You want to, you want to show the fans, you know, a little bit of excitement, things like that, but just the, the absolute lack of production when Brown was, was on the field um, was a little bit surprising uh, to me. Yeah. I thought they could have like strung together something accidentally. I, I, he threw for like what, 27 yards or something like that. So um, 
you would think at some point, especially during a spring game when you're kind of just out there having fun, you're just trying to show the fans that you could you could make something happen, and it it never really came to fruition. So there wasn't. We, everybody knows, you know, the Caleb Smith catches, Grant Wells, and and the big things, Pollard getting some good pressure. That that was really that was really it. There wasn't too much excitement from the game. I was just happy to be able to watch it. It was just exciting to see the fans. The weather was perfect. The fans were all juiced up, and um, everything surrounding it, I think, was was more impactful, including a lot of the interviews that they did. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right, and that is what we've always said: is that the spring game it, it's so much more than the game, and everyone's like, it's just an exhibition and and people would defend Fuente's decision like not to put it on TV or whatever. It's like, what does it matter? It it matters so much. Look at the weekend that was provided with the backdrop of a game, not to mention the on the field benefits of maybe like they have a couple safeties in coverage and, and they show a look and then the safeties coach is like, actually, I don't want you to do it like that. I want you to do it like this. There are teachable moments that under the pressure of having fans being on a stage can provide you teaching opportunities. Yeah. Like I never understood why that wouldn't want to be fully taken advantage of. Yeah. And we, we've been over that many, many times. And I was just so happy, even if the game wasn't great, because it wasn't great. But that's not the point. The point is to get out there, let the kids put on their uniform, play on a big stage, be on TV, let their friends and family watch at home, and, you know, see how they perform. That's what the whole what it's all about. Well, and think about it from the NFL players and former NFL players. It, it, when it wasn't televised, yeah, you're coming, but... You're coming one because you love Virginia Tech. Yes, some of them love it, probably at varying levels. You're coming to recruit, right? To like show your face and get recruits excited, but you have no voice. You have no public voice because it's not televised. I mean, this way you got Bruce, which I thought was the most impactful of the interviews because he, I mean, he didn't really hold back talking about the in-state recruiting and the lack thereof. Um, even and he's the, a legend. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you had Tyrod Taylor up in the booth. Um, Terrell Edmonds on the field got an interview. Mm-hmm. So it for those players, um, you know, maybe they all don't like to be in the spotlight, but some of them obviously do. I mean, that's that's why they accepted the interviews. So you know, to try and incentivize those guys to come and say, well, you, you really don't get to, you don't get to speak to the fan base whatsoever. You, you just get to come and help us recruit and, you know, watch some football, et cetera. And it'll just be kind of a fun weekend. Um, I think it adds a, a, a different flavor to the reason to make the trip. Yeah, no, I absolutely. And, and we both know that the recruiting opportunity and the, goodwill towards the fans and the PR opportunity for the program is unmatched. I mean, you you don't get a day like we had this past spring very often. You get it like eight times a year for your games and no other times. And the spring game is that extra chance. And to not take advantage of it is silly, and I'm so glad that we're doing it now. As for the final like notes on the game, I thought that Farrell at quarterback warranted to mention just because I his little bit of rushing and a little bit of wiggle and this and that that could be something down the road and I think that Bullock had a nice run himself so I, I don't know that you know now this cements Farrell ahead of Bullock after just one spring game but 
to see a little bit of out of each of those guys was encouraging because we really haven't got to see our backup quarterbacks other than when a guy gets hurt in many years. So I making them both live and allowing them to run around a little bit was fun. Yep, I uh, I absolutely agree. And I think that's going to about do it for the spring game. Um, they did charge for the game. I know that kind of made some headlines, but it was five bucks to get in. But I think it was also like Hokie Club representatives were going to be there. And actually, I thought it was a great idea because it was a, the gateway drug to donating more money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, you know, say what you will, but, you know, wit and, you know, the drive for 25. I never wanted to say it on the podcast, but I always thought that I was like, yeah, there's no freaking chance we're getting there. And they did. So um, they did. I, like you can say, say what you want. He did it at Cincinnati um, and he's doing it here. The dude knows how to raise money. Um, if, if, if nothing I, else. I, that, that you're right. We didn't put that in our news and notes, but like we hit the driver 25 in like six years. Yeah. I think it was about, it was 2016 to like a little over five years that we hit the drive for 25. That is unbelievable. And I know probably a lot of those numbers are $25 donation here and there, but it doesn't matter because then once you start donating and create that culture, that's what's so important. And we're up there with the best in the nation in terms of donors at this point. Yeah, It's the gateway drug. I mean, the $25 leads to, you know, the, um, and the the ways that they're doing it, I mean, you know, getting the ACC championship banner for, you know, donating and they're, they are using a lot of unique ways. They may be small dollars, but it adds up over time. And, you know, maybe that pays for just one more analyst that sees an angle and that, you know, you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And that gets you a W, you know, you, yeah. you know, you, you can't. Not everything has to be the $5 million donation or those sorts of things. A lot of it's, that's how Clemson did it. I mean, they, they started, that their, their whole program was built off of getting kids to donate immediately and like basically coming out of college, making very small donations, and then just like locking them into it, like getting them just used to donating every single year. I budget for my donations every year. It's part of my budget. Like every single year, it's it's just routine for me. It's not a question of whether I'm donating or not. It's just become routine for me. And that's what you need to instill. And it starts small. You need the gateway drug. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And before we kind of close out and give our, you know, all the things that you can subscribe to and whatnot, I heard an interesting take on building up the Olympic programs and why you do that. And I think it was from the guys on the TSL podcast because Clemson kind of has a different philosophy. They put all their money towards football. They kind of cut some of their other sports and, and it's basically all about football and it's worked for them. That's what they did. But Witt had a different mentality, start building up wrestling and softball and baseball and soccer and make them all above water make them all decent and then now they're starting to actually all get good and what happens is the former players in that program feel pride the fans of those sports feel pride they start donating and the idea is that those sports become Mm self-sustaining that the money that comes in from the donations to baseball now 
don't need football money to survive. And that's why it all works. And I never thought of it like that because I'm like, yeah, we just just focus on football. That's what makes all the money. But if you can cover your expenses for those other sports from donations to those other sports, then you can keep all your football money. Yeah. And that is what WIT is doing. And it's actually working. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, all you need is for some of those programs, all you need is, you know, one may hole, right? Like one of the, like one of those one big donor, like, a couple of big that, donors that love baseball or whose kid played baseball for Virginia Tech or wrestled for Virginia Tech and like uh, and that's what they want to donate to. That's their football. They don't give two mm-hmm. you know shits about football. They care about the baseball program or whatever and they can sustain that program and that frees up all the money that sh- that that is going into football not to have to be kind of spread out. So um, I think it's a and it's ch- hard to visualize because it takes time. It takes half a decade. It takes seven, eight, nine, ten years. But we've seen the slow climb yep. that all these various sports that we have have made, and it's it's been gigantic strides since Wits got here. Honestly. And so, I mean, in basketball included, like it's, it's, it's become a whole different ball game with, with basketball. So, um, it's exciting. It's, it's a, always a great day to be a Hokie, but specifically right now, this might be the best athletics year we've ever had. And I actually, it might not even be close like overall. And that's with football (laughs) going under 500. That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, man, Uh, who would have thought, who would have thought? Well, thank you for, you know, coming back to the podcast. We know it's been a minute since we talked some football. Hopefully enjoyed the spring practice recap. Uh, you can subscribe. It's Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence on Apple Podcast. It's at Too Deep VT on Twitter and at Too Deep VT on Instagram. You can also email us any questions you may have. It's Too Deep VT at gmail.com. And we're just we're stoked for the summer and for what's about to come this upcoming season. I'm, I'm ready to get back to a game. I haven't been to a game in Blacksburg in years. I've been to Blacksburg. I went last fall, but I haven't been to a game there in, in a little while now. I know. Yeah. I got to, I usually do two out of six is what I try and get to a third of the games. Um, so I got to look at the calendar and maybe hopefully you and I haven't been to a game in a, in a, in a minute. So I know it has. So been. I think uh, we'll have to compare calendars. Are see. you going to try to do the Thursday nighter? I want to. That's so it's difficult. so difficult because it almost makes you feel like you got to stay the whole weekend. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> like part of going down is the game, but part of it is like going to see, you know, going out in Blacksburg and just seeing stuff and, you know, going to the bars and all that kind of stuff. And so it, it kind of, you could get uh, leaving on like Saturday or even like, you know, Friday evening or something along those lines just wouldn't feel natural. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it doesn't. Yeah. So, but then that means you got to basically take two days off of work yeah. to go down for the game. You got to take off Thursday and Friday. That's exactly right. So <laughs> I, I will tough. say, I am thinking about it, so we'll have to. Yeah, I mean it's West Virginia, right? Yeah. Like that's that's a massive game. Yeah, and Thursday night, so it'll be it, for anybody that's not going, it'll definitely get a lot of television coverage because the those Thursday night games, and if it's it's West Virginia and Virginia Tech, it'll 
It'll it's get a some throwback, hype. man. Playing WVU on a Thursday night in Lane, man, that is a throwback. I, I can't wait. Yep. All right, buddy. Well, we will talk soon. We'll we'll go over some of our upcoming opponents and and kind of cover stuff we didn't get a chance to tonight, like some of the coaching uh, staff fill-ins and that kind of stuff. But we will talk to you guys soon. And until next time, go Hokies.